Hey, good people. This is your NI Down back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I have two words on the brain. Two C words, by the way. Correction and coercion. Correction and coercion. Coercion. That sounds weird. Coercion. I don't think I've ever said that word. Anywho, <laughs> um, to correct and to co to coerce. That sounds weird. And um, I actually started off uh, this morning wanting to do a really quick 15-minute YouTube reflection to talk about correct correction, really being corrective, being corrective, because there are two different ways in which I use that term. And in very interesting ways, they both relate to liberation. And so when I started the YouTube reflection, which I didn't um, complete because I got to the end of my 15-minute allotment, and I realized I was just halfway through unpacking, and that reflection was not as um, crisp or short or neat as I thought it was going to be. And so I was like, no, we're going to go into the, we're going to go and do this as a regular podcast reflection and not do this as a YouTube kind of reporting out. So there are two ways I used corrective. And before I hit the record button, I was new. I felt like they were both, they were different ways. And I was curious to see if how they were complementary. But I think I know the complementary nature of it. At least I know how they're similar. I use them both in different ways, but they both are related to acts of liberation, acts of liberation. And so that's one, that was the primary reason why I got up to start talking uh, with you all this morning. It's a Saturday, Saturday morning, by the way. However, um, I woke up with um, a theory. I've been really unpacking uh, my work situation and I've entered into this very interesting space with my CEO. And uh, um, and I think the last reflection that I did, um, I talked up openly about him saying that I was odd and abnormal. <laughs> and I unpacked that in the last reflection when your supervisors, your supervisor's supervisor's supervisor calls you odd and abnormal. What do you do with that? <laughs> What do you want me to do with that is what I said to him when he said, um, he said it to me on repeat. I said, sir, you've said this to me several times in this conversation that I was odd and abnormal. What do you want me to do with that information? Like in my head, I'm like, is that constructive? Is that, do I, are you expecting me to take that piece of information and go skipping off into the sunset with some ideas on how I'm going to grow and prosper from that type of feedback? Um, I didn't get a response, by the way, but nonetheless, so, um, so I've been in a very interesting space with this particular, uh, organization and it has been, I have been trying to make meaning of the space and for the past six weeks that maybe they wanted me to leave the organization. That was one theory I had about why I'm in, I'm in a, I'm in a definite space with them. 
um, and being told that I was uh, odd and abnormal is not the first feedback they've given me. The feedback has been progressively critical. So it's been progressively critical. It started off with something that was like, um, almost, uh, it was almost funny that you would be giving me this feedback because if I tell you that, I mean, it's, it was, it's measurably untrue. They, they started criticizing me, uh, two weeks ago, two months ago. I had not been receiving criticism from this organization. About two months ago, like they started criticizing me. And the first round of it, I was like, well, this is measurably untrue. Like you can, you can measure this easily. But since then, it's this, this feedback has become more critical, um, over the past two months. And so I, I started trying to under, put a theory to the case. Like, what are they doing? Are you, are you, are you, are they trying to push me out? Are they trying to push me out? Um, so that's one theory that I've had. Um, another theory that I had is because I applied for another position. And I'm like, are they trying to disqualify me from that position? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Are you trying to disqualify me for that position? Well, this mo- morning I woke up with a new theory. Um, and I'm not saying it's right. It's not like I got the dear theory. But I'm going to put a third theory on the table as to why they are doing what they're doing. And I'm going to call it, I'm calling it, I'm calling it coercion, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's actually what it is. Um, but we're, I wanted a C word, right? Corrective, um, correction and coercion. That's why I, that's why I stuck with, uh, coercive, coercive. Yeah, I'm going to have to practice that word. <laughs> You're probably screaming into your listening device like, this is how you say it. <laughs> Just bear with me. Remember, I'm odd and abnormal. <laughs> I should start a podcast that says, hey, 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 good people, this is your odd and abnormal um, NIDOM. Anyway. Anyway, so those are the two words that are on the brain, um, correction and coercion. And, um, and we'll see what happens with this reflection. Okay. And it'd be interesting to see if they overlap. Um, but they may not because they, they are starting from two separate events, but you know, me as an NI Dom, I have a way of like drilling down and then getting to some essential element. And so we'll see where this reflection takes me. If you're new to this project, um, um, oh God, I just lost my train of thought. If you're new to this project, this is a personal trying, um, good grief. One more time. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theories. Uh, the two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as being an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator. Um... And half of, of, of about 30 years, I am really struggling this morning, of about 30 years and half of that time has been in leadership. Um, politically, I identify as a critical race feminist, and that's because I pay attention to lowercase p politics. Uh, my politics is 
primarily in the lowercase p. Uppercase p politics is what political party are you do you belong to? What political activities are you part of? Do you vote? Do you campaign? Do you um do you do you um sit on juries? Do you uh do you make uh, uh phone calls? Um do you go and speak to your politicians, you know, do you, do you petition your politicians? So that's all in the uppercase P politics. And I do, a, I do a lot of that. I have done a lot of that, but the politics that I do over the past um, five years has been lowercase P politics and it's how paying attention to power at, at the interpersonal level, at the interpersonal level. And so I do that. I pay attention to policy, poly, power at the interpersonal level and I'm particularly in, particularly interested in uh, how power shows up in social constructs such as race, gender, class, sexuality, um, and a able ableness or a ability or ableism. And um, I talked a little bit about that in the previous episode, like um, how you're trying to shame me for being. Really, it's really neurodivergence. Um, I just think differently. I show up differently in the world. And instead of you embracing that difference, you're trying to shame it. You're trying to coerce me <laughs> to be something that I'm not. And your way of doing that is by shaming. But anyway, um, that is who I am. And so critical race feminism is just the best way for me to to give people a heads up that that's how I show up. And this project, podcast is unedited and it is unscripted as you can tell by the way that I'm stumbling through it I don't know why I'm struggling this morning but if you want to know more about me or this project and how I'm showing up or why I'm showing up please go to my website at youranidom.wordpress.com all right I'll be one second so I want to start off by talking about corrective and I'm a little afraid I could fall into a rabbit hole and if I do that uh, extensively, then I won't get to coercion. But um, um, I'm sorry, I just put you guys on pause, so it might be an abrupt shift. But um, so let me just talk about cor- corrective. So a uh, correction. So I use correction in two different ways, and I have primarily used it as one way. And then yesterday, um, or excuse me, two days ago when I was in a meeting, I saw it show up, um, in a different way. And each way I, like I already said, each way that I've looked at this idea of being corrective or correcting or correction, um, I connect each way to liberation work, liberation work. Um, yeah. All right, so the first one, and something just hit me in my brain. I just need to say it here so I don't forget it. But it's around, um, it was a breakthrough that I had um, in 2016 that liberation work is not peaceful. Liberation work is not peaceful. And I haven't, I just, I remember I was in a season where I was really trying to make peace with that, trying to understand like how how is why is why is liberatory work conflict work and um and so i i spent this i was doing um private reflections at that time i did a number of private recordings for myself to try to make peace with that and and so i did 
But as I was talking to you guys just a second ago about correction, it popped in my head when I said liberation, that it popped in my head. It's not peaceful. And I think that's what I'm going through with the particular job that because I'm, I am committed to doing liberatory work. I'm so committed. I don't even think about when I'm doing it. I just do it. It's on default for me. I don't even, I don't even have to consciously say, I want to do liberation work right now. I just do it. And I think what's happening is that it doesn't feel comfortable for people. It doesn't feel comfortable for people. And I just, you guys, you know what? We are 12 minutes, 13 minutes into this reflection. And I have just linked the two words together. I have just come up with the connection between correction and coercion. It's around liberation. Liberation work. Hot diggity dog. It doesn't take time. It doesn't take me a lot of time to do it. All right, let me just pretend like I don't know how they connect. And let me tell you about the two two versions, of just the two words. Um, I don't know if you, you may not even be listening anymore because I feel a little scattered. So if you're still listening, just bear with me and just say a little prayer for me, okay? <laughs> All right. So, um, so, um, so anyway, I've, I've been, I've been using this term correction, um, for myself um, for a few years. And, um, and then I was in a meeting, um, two days ago and I, I used the word correction in a different way. And like I said, they both relate to the idea of liberation. So let me tell you how I've been using it historically for a few years. Um, I, um, one of the scholar activists that I follow, her name is Melissa Harris Perry, most people know her as the former anchor uh, cable personality on a television sh- uh, cable show called MSNBC. But I actually didn't really care for Dr. Uh, uh, Harris Perry on that television show. I mean, I I thought she was doing good work, but I appreciate her as a researcher and writer and author. So I read her content, I I read her research, I follow her lectures, I deeply, um, I deeply connect to her and relate to her. Um, she's also a biracial black woman, but she doesn't identify that. She just calls herself a black woman. She identifies as black, but she also talks about being biracial or having a white mom. But, um, but outside of that, that's probably the only difference like just and she's a political science uh nerd and so it just i i just really 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 enjoy her research um and so anyway she was let go um from the television show msnbc she was let go and they said she was difficult and that was what her superior said that she was difficult and I remember her talking about that, about whether or not she was difficult. And, uh, and the term she used, I believe it was this, I believe it was, uh, Professor Harris Perry. I believe she said, I'm precise. I'm precise. I'm clear. I'm directive. And if these qualities came off of me as if I were a man, particularly a white man, 
you would not, it would not stand out to you as problematic. You would say she's a leader. She's clear. Um, she has vision. She has purpose. She has direction. That's strength. That's the strength on her. But because it was coming out of her as a woman, as a, uh, as particularly a white, a black woman, it was perceived to be problematic. And I just remember, and, and since then, I've heard other people say some type of uh, derivative of that, that when you have a leadership orientation on you and you're clear, you're purposeful and you, you, and you're comfortable with being precise and directive, people have a problem with it when you're a woman, particularly when you're a black woman. But I think, I think it's the gender part more so than the race part. I don't know for sure. Be prepared for me to come back and correct myself on that. Right now, I'm going to start off by saying I think that's more gender than it is race. I could be wrong. And you know what? That is true. It is about race too because, and I talked about this on the podcast uh, reflection that I did about seven INTJ women. So this lady brought on these seven INTJ uh seven female INTJs and had them all talking together and and just seeing where they they converged and then they diverged like what do they have in common what how were they different and most of them and I'm not going to say they were all white they were mainly white but the ones that probably weren't white were what I call either white adjacent or white presenting and we you have to go back to the to that episode for me that I think I talked about what does that mean to be white adjacent or white presenting, which are two different concepts, but they both, excuse me, two separate concepts, but they both work. Um, uh, they both work for now. They both relate. Um, but in that particular, uh, it was a YouTube video, YouTube content. They were all talking about um, feeling like they had a little bit of FE on them and FE stands for extroverted feeling. It's a cognitive function in the uh, Myers-Briggs personality structure system. And it's a, it's a cognitive function that um, INFJs use pretty heavily and they're good at it. Uh, it's, it's their second function for INFJ, but INTJs, it's not in our preferred stack. So we have there, we have access to eight cognitive functions, but our, we prefer four of them. So that's called our preferred stack. Then we have a shadow stack that we don't, we have these four cognitive functions that we don't use, um, readily. And so when we do use them, it's a hot mess because <laughs> we don't, because we don't use them enough. Um, we're not skilled at it. And so for INTJs, that FE is it's um seventh for us, if I'm not mistaken, it's seventh. So to hear these seven INTJ women talking about, oh, I I I can use F E or I look and I'm like, no, 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 I don't think that. And they all talked about how they were raised to use F E. And so 
I think that is gender as a woman. Like an FE extroverted feeling is about attuning yourself to the group, to the feelings of the group, attuning yourself to the feelings of the group. I don't do that. I don't do that at all. And I wasn't raised to do that. Now, I was, because I come from trauma, I was raised to attune myself to the feelings of an individual, to individual, but not to the group. No, and I would love, now that I'm here, I'm in this rabbit hole, I actually want to stay here because I was like, I don't see a racial element to it, but I definitely, I'm starting to see it now. I knew I was going to, oh my gosh. But I'm also curious about this idea of the group. And I've talked in the past about, and, and I learned this from actually Dr. Perry, Perry, uh, Harris Perry and her research that African Americans would not have survived, um, just the brutality of, of, uh, Chattel, chattels, chattel slavery. I think I'm saying that right. Jim Crow. Um, the lynching era, like just as a collective, we've been through some intense, intense um, political movements, and we would not have survived. She said, had, had it not been for the church. For, for the, for the black church. Um, and I have taken her research and I've talked about how we've done group, group work. And we would not have survived if, had we not done group work. But even in that, I'm not sure that I, as a black woman, has, was conditioned to attend to the group like that. Not the way not not as an F, not the way we typically understand FE. Um, I think the group work that we've done as a collective, and now I say we African Americans have done across uh, uh, centuries. Um, I would center it in SI, uh, but I don't know. I don't know, you guys, I'm in a rabbit hole. I'm going to say S-I. I see T-E. I do see a little F-E. S-E. But I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to chew on this, you guys, because I, I have a theory that's branching off in my head that's trying to, and this is not the purpose of this reflection. So let me just park that. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Like that's me in like real time perceiving uh, space. Or you you saw that and you know you just caught that very much in a live and in living color. Me having some branches forming in my head and I was like trying to lean into it. But let me come back. Um, so anyway, this idea these these seven INTJ women just really talking about them being confused about whether they were INTJ or INFJ because they do this FE thing. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't feel that. I've talked about that on a um, earlier 
episode. Feel free to go look at it. Look it up. I think I called it a seven int. I don't even know what the name of that episode is called, but it's something about seven intj women. But I said all of that <laughs> to, to talk about why, when a why I think gender is here because if women have been socialized to lean in to the group and take care of the group emotionally, and then you have a woman and who is clear about a direction that she wants to go and she is responsible for the group and she's trying to move that group forward. If she's not attending to that group's feelings, she can come off in a different way, right? And so heaven forbid she is direct, she's precise, she's on purpose, and she is corrective. So if someone said something and she corrects them, that correction may not feel good. Um It may not feel good. So I've always looked at this idea of being being corrective. So if you say something to me and it's not correct and I correct you, you more than likely are going to be uncomfortable because if you are expecting me to go along with the group to get along, and then I, I don't choose that route and I correct you instead. It's distinct. It's noticeable. And you could call me odd and abnormal in that sense because if most women are programmed or excuse me, socialized or programmed, it's the same, indoctrinated to attend to your comfort. If most women have been programmed and indoctrinated to attend to your comfort and I don't prioritize your comfort because I correct you on something, then it could be problematic. I can see it. And I've, I've, this is just what I've thought about. You know, I also say that I'm precise and oftentimes when I correct people, it's around precision. So if I say to you, Oh my gosh, I'm going to just use a really ridiculous elementary exam, a metaphor. But if I say to you, red, white, and blue, and you come back to me and you say, you know, you said blue, white, and red. And I said, no, no, no. I said red, white, and blue. That, it can be something as small as that. And there are people who would go, they would feel that as jarring because they, they would think, well, it was the same colors. You know, it's the same three colors. Why did you have to correct me? Whether you say blue, red, white, what difference does it make? And I could say, and then I would come back and go, well, red, white, and blue in that particular order means this. And that's why I'm not, it's not just about there being three colors. It's not just about the, those three colors. It's about the order of the color. And so that's a level of precision that I, that's important. It's in, that precision is important. And that's why I'm just going to say, oh, no, no, no. Nope, I'm saying red, white, and blue. Not blue, white, and red. Not blue, red, and white. Not white, red, and blue. It's red, white, and blue. Okay, I know it's an elementary example, but hopefully that helps to make my point. That's what I mean by corrective. But it, usually the correction is around precision, 
right? It's about precision because there's something in the preciseness of it that's important. And most, if other people don't see it, they're like, oh, what's the difference? No, it really doesn't make a difference. So I'm going to give you an example, a, a real life example. I'm trying to get my teachers to understand. I want them to have uh, do what's called a bell ringer. I don't usually call it a bell ringer, but most people understand it as a bell ringer. And I want the students to do an activity for the first five minutes of class. And, um, but the way they do that bell ringer, it has to be specific. There's a specific way they need to do the bell ringer. Otherwise it doesn't matter. Well, I haven't given them the specific way to do the bell ringer. So they're just doing it. They're doing a bell ringer and it's, and so let me get, so the way I want them to do it, and if you're an educator, I'm going to share this with you. You do the bell ringer so that in the first five minutes, the students will have a clear win. They will have a clear, clear achievement, a clear win. And it can't, it has to be so clear that it cannot be up for you to interpret. They, the win cannot be dependent upon your interpretation of their performance. That the win has to be so clear that we, even if you don't ever get around to correcting their work, there's got to be a way for them to correct it and go, oh, I, I did it right. And it has to be a win outside of you as the teacher. A lot of educators will do a startup activity, but it's not a win because it, it's not a clear win because it's all, it, it's going to be dependent on that teacher to come in and interpret if that student did the if that student performed according to some kind of hidden coded, coded standard. And that student then becomes dependent on you to then interpret their performance to tell them whether or not they had a win. All right. I'm in my, I'm in my other podcast. So I'm just going to back out of that because I don't typically like to go here, but that's an example, right? So when they say to me, well, you told us to do this bell ringer. I did. Well, no, I didn't tell you. I, I asked you to do a bell ringer. And they had, they got so upset about it. But I wanted you to do the bell ringer in a way that there is a clear win. And you're not doing that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not doing that at all. Because when you come into that activity and you, um, and you ask students to read or interpret, um, to read, write, and interpret, for many students, that's not an immediate win. It's not an immediate win. It doesn't give the endorphins of, I accomplish. Maybe that's the way I need to explain it. But anyway, so me being, so I said, hey, I want a bell ringer that is clear. It's a clear win. Uh, many teachers took that to say, I'm going to have a, you do a bell ringer. Well, the bell ringer that you're doing isn't, really generating a win for the students. It's not. And so then I come back and I go, no, 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 no. This is how I want it, right? Now, I'm very clear. I have a clear vision. And I I'm moving into an element of precision. And that does not feel good, right? It doesn't matter how I do it. I can sing, it, sing you a song, uh, roll it up in a, a, a chocolate cake and give it to you. I don't know if that doesn't make sense, but anyway, it doesn't matter how I give it to you. The fact that I am, um, looking for something very specific, um, can make some people uncomfortable anyway. 
But that's how I've been corrective in the past. And I do it as an act of liberatory work because I know that people don't expect women to be corrective. They don't expect them to be corrective around vision and precision. They don't. And I take pride in it because I know that you, I know that you haven't made carved out a space for me to be precise and to be vision oriented and to be directive. And so when I'm corrective, it's not because I'm trying to be mean. And I'm not, it's not even because I'm trying to make you uncomfortable. But I know that you have a need space for me to be a leader, to be visionary, to be directive, to be precise. I know that you've not made that space just because of how women have been socialized in our society. Okay, moving on. I probably won't have time to talk about coercion, you guys. But let me talk about the way that I saw corrective two days ago. Um, Similar, but different. So I'm sitting at a table. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but I did not have the word. And the word is corrective. The word is corrective. So I'm sitting at the table with three other principals, right? This is the first time I've gone to the principals meeting because I don't feel like even though they've got me in this principals role, I'm an interim principal. And so I'm not officially there. And, uh, and so that's fine. That's fine. Um, so all up until now, there've been about three or four meetings. I've not, I've sent the assistant principal to, to do this. Um, I'm sorry. I just had a breakthrough about something, something I'm not going to unpack it, but that's why I just went silent. Okay. Um, and one of the principles I would say that we were developing a friendship, I would have said that, um, I feel a little different about her today because of that experience, but she's somebody that, um, I have talked to her on the phone many times we've, and we've gone out and we've had wine together <laughs> and, um, and dinner together. So I consider her a friend. There was another principal to my left who um he um we used to work for the same school district and and I'm just going to say something that I don't feel comfortable saying I hate when other INT excuse me I hate when other NT women say this cuz other NT women say it I don't like when they say it but it is true I tend to do better when I'm with men in like group settings than I do with women in group settings. And I think it has a lot to do with the indoctrination around attending to the emotions of the group. And because men aren't expected to do that, and I don't do that, I just find myself able to banter and engage with men differently. And I'm going to be even more precise. I do better with white men. Uh, because when I'm in a group with black men, there's a different expectation that's happening. 
Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to unpack this. So when my, I'm going to circle back to something I said in two episodes ago, because when my CEO says to me, I'm going to have to learn to talk to white men, I'm like, yo, I don't typically have a problem with white men. I'm able to move in, in conversations with them at a, in a flow that's easier for me than it is when I'm interacting with white women and when I'm interacting with black men. Like I got to do a, I'm going to have to do an essay on that. Um, and I'm, I'm back into doing my essay writing. I just have a piece that I'm, I'm finalizing and it's, it's going to be good. It's not yet at a place. It's not popping yet, but it's dealing with, uh, interracial, intraracial politics, black on black politics. Um, and in, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into another rabbit hole. But anyway, so I typically flow better with white men. And I've talked about this in different ways, but it's starting to really crystallize for me that that actually is a thing. And I'm not saying it to be proud. I'm not proud of it, but it is a thing. Okay. And when I listen to other white women, because that's who I interact with in the typology community, they're white women primarily, white NT women, intuitive thinkers, NT, they almost all of them say that they just have a better connection with men. They've never designated what type of men in terms of race. But we can assume when white people don't qualify and clarify race, you can assume they're talking about another white person. Because when they talk about a person of color, which I hate that terminology, they will say a person of color. All right. So I'm going to assume that they're talking about white men. And, and I, I am that way as well. So I'm at this table, two white women, one white man, and I'm, I'm, I'm rapporting with him. And I can just see this hindsight now. I, 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 I think I was picking up on it in the moment, but I didn't, I didn't pause to process it. So he and I are doing this back and forth rapporting. We're, we're in a group and we're supposed to do some group work and he took up a lot of space. He was the primary knower or thinker amongst the four of us. And I'm watching these two white women let him dominate the conversation. And I wasn't going to let him do that. And it wasn't because I wasn't because I was trying to do uh gender politics. Like you cannot take up all the space as a man with these three women. It wasn't that. It was just what he was saying. I wanted to poke it. Not even that I thought he was wrong. What he was saying I thought was intriguing. I wanted to clarify. I wanted to qualify it. I wanted to offer an alternative uh, perspective. I just was enjoying him. I really was just enjoying him. And so I'm now verbal with him and the two women are just sitting there. This is after, first of all, they were sitting there when he was taking up a lot of space talking and then I just joined in and they didn't do it. They just sat there. Okay. Then when he left, because he had to leave, and it was the three of us, it was my friend, I'm putting that in quotes, and then her friend, another principal, because they were all principals, right? Now I know they're friends. And I've I've interacted with her before. She didn't talk with me. The only time she talked to me was when she corrected me. That's the only time she would talk to me. 
So if I said, I would, and it wasn't even like, so I would, we were talking in a group and she wasn't, she was, it was so noticeable that she wasn't talking with me. She was on her computer, right? So I started directing my conversation to my friend who was sitting like on an, on an uh, angle, um, diagonally, I think is the word from me. So she was, she was across the table to my left. So if I said something to my friend that my non, the non friend white woman did not agree with, then she would jump into the conversation, never make eye contact with me and just correct me. And so they they were, it was little though. This is what I mean by lowercase p politics or interpersonal dynamics. It's just so small and I didn't say anything. And then she corrected me in an obvious, like she shut me, she shut me down because we were supposed to, we were supposed to, um, read some text and, and process, um, come up with one word. We was, we were supposed to, no, no, no. We were supposed to read some text and we we're supposed to make a statement. And up until this point, we were reading and we were talking about what we were reading. She decides to correct me when I started expounding on my statement. We were all expounding. But for whatever reason, she decided to correct me. Now, because she had been correcting me all along and not giving eye contact with me and not dialoguing with me, I took that moment to allow, to magnify what she did. And I magnified it by my facial expression and my body language. And I've learned to do that. So I leaned back and I, I let my eyes get real big. And I, 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 in the middle of me talking, I was like, oh, okay. And I leaned back and it was noticeable that she cut me off. And then she, and then she was like, well, we're not supposed to be doing it that way. And I wanted to say, we haven't been doing it that way for the past 10 minutes. Why now? Why now? Why now are you going to follow the direct? Why now are you going to be precise with the directions with me? Because it was precision still. So she was correct. That wasn't the way we were supposed to be uh, responding to the directions, to responding to that activity. But we had been doing it that way for 10 minutes. And then when I did it, when I did what they were doing, she corrected me. Why now? But I didn't do it. I just allowed, I allowed my body to communicate that she had done something. And then she said, go ahead, go ahead, say what you're going to say. And I was like, no, that's okay. No, go ahead and finish. And then she was, and now she's being directive. And I had experienced her like this before. I've experienced her like this, um, in another, in a training we were in. Uh, and I was like, no, no, no. And she, she almost demanded that I continue to talk. And so I took my hand on the back of my, you know, you rub the back of your neck, like there's tension there. And I said, if you don't mind, I would really just like to go back and just read the te- text. Is it okay? I was like, I was trying to be really gentle. I said, is it okay if we could just go back to the text? Okay. And then when we did the next reading, then she's like, you go, you go first. Because like, like as if I cut you off before you go ahead. And I was like, no, 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 you're not, I'm not going to, no, no, no. So she was, she was, now that I, I, I initially saw that as corrective when I was at the table, 
But now that I'm doing the reflection, I see that as corrective, directive, and precision. Okay? Now, I told you in the first part of this, I can be that. I think it's okay. But here's the difference. Okay? And I'm, and I'm going to wrap it up here. So here's, that's the similarity, right? She was correcting me. And she was directing me. But the word that's coming up for me right now to, to put in front of us as, as I'm, as I prepared, as I can, I'm going to move into my closing in a minute, in a second. The word that's coming up for me is vision. So when I talked about it, when, a, when women have a vision of a particular way, place that they want to go, and then they start directing people and start having precision and going in that direction and correcting accordingly. It's, but it's all based on the vision. What was her vision? What was her vision that was driving her correction, her precision, and her direction of me? Because she didn't do it to that man, to the white man. She didn't do it to her friend, white woman. She did it to me. And maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with race. I'm very comfortable with saying that. Maybe it had nothing to do with the fact that I was the only black person at that table. And honestly, in a room full of about 40 people, there were three black people in that room. And we weren't together at all. We're not really allowed to sit together. That's another conversation. When when black people are in predominantly white spaces and they sit together and they talk together, that's a I'm not gonna I'm not going down that road. So we didn't sit together and we know the it's like a it's like a rule book. It's an unwritten rule book and we all know the rule. And we stayed we stayed so far apart from each other that like during the breaks when you can kind of like banter, you know, people kind of get together during the, you go to a training and they say, okay, we're going to do a, a five minute bathroom break. And then people like mingle and talk. The three of us never talk with each other at all. That's an, unless you're dealing with people, black people who are doing liberatory work, Black people who are not committed to doing liberatory work will follow that rule book. Those of us who are very comfortable with breaking the rule book for the sake of liberation, we will. And I attempted to do that. And I, I got the memo pretty quick that the other black woman in that room was not, didn't want to do it. So I wanted to respect her. And true to form, about two hours after that, after the workday, I got a text from her. Hey, it was so great to see you. We need to get together. And I wanted to say so bad. Why are you saying this to me now <laughs> via text? Why couldn't you talk to them? Why didn't you talk to me when we were in the room? But I already knew it. That's a new, that's a new budding friendship. And we're very different, you know. And she's very, you know, I don't want to, she's, she's expressed her priorities to me in our in the school district that we work in, and I respect that. And I'm pretty sure because of those priorities, because of her vision, that's why she stayed away. Okay, fine, 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 fine. <laughs> but going back to this particular lady who was sitting directly across from me, what was her vision that would then have her move into correction, direction, and precision as it relates to me? 
Was it because I didn't follow the rule book when the guy, white guy was centering himself, taking up all the space? We were supposed to be collaborating in a group and he was the primary quote, thinker. And he was, and, and those two women sat back and allowed him to do that. And when I didn't, so was it that I, her, was it that she was now coming back to correct me because I didn't follow that vision? The vision, and I'm just going to say this, and if you're a white woman listening to me and this is not your jam, you have every, you can push back on me. You can send me a message because I've had a white friend, a friend of mine who corrected me. And so I don't usually do this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it now just to make a point. If I didn't follow the rule book of what it means to be a white woman and how to show up in the world as a white woman, that's what it was almost like. I wonder. Not that she was picking on me because I was black, but she was correcting me because I didn't follow the rule book. I don't know if it was that, y'all. I genuinely, genuinely do not know if that was why she did it. But she did it for a reason. It was it was so noticeable. And normally, I would have, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Why do you think you did that? And then I would have had to show the pattern and I would have to show the pattern. And and so, and I'm learning too, that when you pause to show people, so you respond to their behavior. And then when you show them a pattern in their behavior, that can really make them uncomfortable, right? Uh, Because my CEO was very frustrated that I was, I had given him his behavior in a pattern. And he was like, who wants to be scrutinized like that? I'm not trying to scrutinize you. It's not, trust me, this was not scrutiny. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, me seeing patterns is just something that I do. <laughs> and me seeing patterns and behaviors because I'm, I'm trained on behaviors. Uh, it's just taking my training and my NI dominance. I, trust me, I didn't have to put any effort into seeing a pattern of your behaviors. But anyway, I don't know why this lady, um, I can't say why she was doing that for se, but I can say this. She was doing it for a reason. And this is where I'm going to close. And I'm going to, I am actually going to link this to coercion in a little, in a, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to link it to coercion because I do see the connection. I might have to go a little bit over an hour, y'all, but I don't think it's necessary for me to do a separate recording. What I thought about Two days ago, I wasn't thinking about it as coercion. What I thought about it two days ago was she's having a hard time being with me. She wants to be at me, over me, but not with me. So those of you who who know me uh, from my primary world, and I think there are a few of you who are, who are, who, who know, who are listening, who know me from my primary world. You know, I talk a lot about over, under, and with as it relates to interpersonal dynamics. And I don't want to do that under this podcast because this is my area of research. <laughs> so you guys, if you start talking about it, even if you can't cite me by name, you can cite me as your NI Dom because this is, this has got my name all over it. But there are people who have a hard time sitting with you, with you, dialoguing with you. And it relates to vulnerability. 
it really, at the end of the day, it relates to vulnerability. I don't want to be vulnerable with you. I don't see myself at the same level as you. I see myself as your superior. I see myself as knowing more than you, having more power than you or whatever. So I can't be vulnerable with you because I'm superior to you. Now, most people don't have that kind of consciousness, but they have that indoctrination because they've been socialized to have that orientation. And I'd love, if I had time, I'd love to talk about me going into a predominantly white setting and with children and observing little white boys versus little black boys. I mean, I'm talking about at the second, third grade level. And that socialization is already there. It is already there about superiority. And I'm not saying that to throw anybody under the bus because we're all products of the social world or victims, right? So just because you've been socialized to be superior, I'm I'm not upset with you about that. But I think nothing illustrates that more than when I look, I'm in the classroom and I can see the orientation of my students. And how when they how they speak with authority or do they speak with inferiority? It's on children. You can you can see the social the social world just by observing kids. Okay. Those kids grow up to become adults. Right? And when those of us who have been social oh my God. I don't want to cry, y'all. I can feel it. When those of us who have been socialized to be inferior show up at the table as an equal, what happens to those who were socialized to be superior? I recently read, um, I've been reading about what's called white rage. Most people will talk about white fragility. Well, there's research out there about white rage and they, they connect, but they are different, right? And what in this reading it said, that and I, I'm saying white in a gross way because it's just one of the things I want to start talking about when I differentiate. I want to say white allies because white allies don't function like this, right? I don't have another word. I don't have a framing for people who are not white allies, right? So non non white allies, right? Okay. So um, when non white allies um, are around other African Americans, that's not when they become fragile and that's not when the rage shows up. But it's according to the research is when blacks show up and they are ambitious and they are accomplished. That's when the rage starts to manifest among non-white allies. Again, this is not all white people, but non-white allies. Right. And why is that? I don't know. But my thinking, my theorizing right now is about superiority. If you've been indoctrinated, if you've been socialized to be superior, and you guys know how I feel about identity work, right? I'm I'm passionate about identity work. That's why I'm like, yep, I'm an INTJ8. What you going to do about it? <laughs> what you going to do about it, right? So when we have these identities, that's okay. That's how we show up in the world. Now, if you want to do real ego work, ego work, then you need to start poking at those identities, right? Interrogating them, putting cracks in them. If you really, really want to grow. But we all have identities that give us a protection as we go about in the world. Now, 
If your identity is grounded in superiority because you've been socialized that way, and then someone who comes to the table who has been, uh, the social narrative is that they are inferior, whether you want to consciously admit that or not, that happens in the social world where there's, there, there's those of us who have been socialized to be inferior. Now they show up as the, at the table as your equal. And heaven forbid they show up as a superior. Hot damn, you guys. I'm on to something this morning. I am on to something this morning. And they show up at the table as <laughs> not just your equal, but as a, may possibly superior. That's where the whole challenge comes from when they have to call me doctor, right? Doctor, you're NI Dom. I, I hold a PhD. We're in a world, I'm in a world of academics and, and education. I'm, I was required to get that third degree to show that I have a level of expertise. If, if you have another person in that room, who's a man who's at a higher ranking position and you're going to call him doctor, why do you think it's okay to call me by my first name? So I just gently, when people do it, I say, it's doctor. Oh, so it's it's doctor. I I correct him. (laughs) I do it. I try to do it gently. Right. Or I'll say something like, Oh, I didn't know we were on first name basis. I noticed that when you, you said doctor to him, why aren't you calling me doctor? I'm just curious. And I bat my eyelashes because that's what women were supposed to do. And I, I giggle. Oh, why do you think you're calling him doctor? And you're not calling me doctor. <laughs> they get so upset. Now, I don't have this problem with black people. With black people, this is so gross. I hate it. It doesn't matter who I am. They refuse, not shouldn't say anything, but like I, my uncle refuses to call me his, I'm doc. So I have, and I have people who I'm developing friendship with and I, I say, okay, you know, you can call me by my first name. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call you by your first name. You are, I'm always going to put a, your handle on it. Right. <laughs> so I'm not saying it, they're right or wrong. It's just culturally different. Right. But to this point, and my, my CEO said this to me. You're smart. You know, you know your work. You know instruction. You know how to run a school and you have the, uh, PhD behind you. That makes people uncomfortable. So I gotta now walk through the world in this environment and I have to posture, position myself to minimize their discomfort. And when I don't, then what's going to happen, right? They become corrective directive because you have been socialized to be superior to me. Now, I have no idea if this theory is, this is a theory, y'all. It's just a theory, right? I, this is why we do um, research. This is why we have the scientific method because the theory and that a theory that's untested is just a theory. But I think you guys can say that as an, as an intuitive, and especially as an NT, an intuitive thinker, we theorize all the time. That's just my theory. Um, and so I think I'm going to close here. Correction. And like I said, I'm going up a little bit over an hour. I think the notion of correction is liberatory. It's liberatory. It's liberatory work. Because, and it's about when and why are you correcting someone? When and why are you correcting them? Most of the time, it's based on a vision. 
right? That's fine. State it. When you correct me, state the vision that you're trying to bring me into. My goodness. I did not know I was going to be able to bring these two uh, ideas together like this. (laughs) I'm pleased with myself, but you all probably are. You could be like, you really haven't said anything. (laughs) You're all amused and proud of yourself. But let me tell you something. You're in Idam. You have not said anything. (laughs) So anyway, just humor me. Okay. So let me close here. (laughs) If... When you correct someone, you, you're correcting them based on the vision of how a thing should be, how a thing should be, how a process should go, what it should look like, right? Based on vision. When you're correcting someone, state the vision, correct them and let them know why you're correcting them so that they can get to the vision. When we're in leadership and we're correcting, most of us are correcting and we do state the vision. But when you're correcting from an unstated vision, from an indoctrinized vision, a socialized vision that's unstated, that's a problem. All I'm saying is state the vision, state it. When you do the correction, state what you're correcting me for. So, and I think this is where it gets a little complicated. So we're this young lady, not, she wasn't young, but this lady, fine, I'll say young lady. We're, she was older than I am. I'm the young lady, (laughs) even though I just turned 51. Anyway, where this lady was correcting me about how I was responding to the text if I was the only one, if I, were the, if I was the only one who was responding to that text in that way, I would have taken it simply as, oh, the vision is I'm supposed to be following the directions like this. She's correcting me based on the vision of how, of the directions we were given, read the text and do it this way. It would have been easy, case closed. But in the fact that those other two women did not follow the directions that way, and and they did it for about 10 minutes. Why then did you correct me when I did exactly what you two did? Why? Why? That now leads me to start theorizing what was different. What was different? It's all about the vision, y'all. Stated or unstated. And I'm saying in the social world, we have these expectations, the socialization process, these social scripts, like a play, you have a character and you get the script for your character and you're supposed to act it out, act out your part. And when you don't act out your part, Especially when you don't act out your part and now you are interfering with the script of someone else, they're going to cor- they be prepared. They're going to correct you. They're going to correct you because you're not acting out your part. You are not playing with the script from the social world. And depending on those scripts, 
the script of the other person, if it's grounded in any kind of, if their script is grounded in any type of superiority and yours and, <laughs> and you are not reifying, y'all know I like that word. If you're not reifying or reinforcing that superiority, be prepared for that. And I think this is the coercion part. There, be prepared to be corrected and, and then a series of coercion. Like, uh, the correctedness is about coercing you into playing the part that you're supposed to play. It's bringing you back into the vault. You did not get the memo. So we are going to now take you through a series of steps. To make sure now that you better understand your lane, your role. And so when correction is coercive, there it is. When correction is coercive. And I think the theory that I woke up about when my CEO said I was odd and abnormal. And he's, this is like maybe the seventh thing that he's done. His criticisms of me have become progressive. What he's really doing is correcting me into the script. It's coercion. Uh, I'm just going to go with that word. There's a small part of me saying that word isn't the right word, but I want those two C words, y'all. That's what he's doing. And I woke up with that. Wasn't even thinking about the situation with the lady at the table, at the training, at the uh, workshop two days ago. But they, they're the same. And so because when he first started correcting me to bring me into the fold to act up hard, I didn't get them. I didn't get it. So each time he's met with me, the criticisms of me have gotten more critical. So I have it written down. I have it written down the progression of his criticism. And it all started two months ago when I took on this assignment. And it hit me this morning that he very well may want to use my skills. I don't know this to be true, but it, this theory hit me this morning. He very well may want to use my skills because he, see, he sees my talent. He sees my skills, but he wants me to do it and play the proper role in this grossly white context. And because I'm going to start in where I've started, because I'm an African-American woman that is dual, dually black, my mama and my daddy are black, right? And because I'm not middle class, I mean, I might have some middle class markers on me because of my degrees and my salary that I make today, <laughs> That's not, right? It puts me in the middle class category, but I don't have... I'm truly not middle class. And I've done an episode of my primary podcast that really talks about the complex nature of what middle class needs. We're not going to unpack that now. But I, so I don't leverage, I don't carry markers or middle class. So another one is like all of those principals were married. I was the only principal not married. And heaven forbid I talk about how I see Dating and romance is unconventional. Like I could go in there and bust that system wide open. <laughs> right? I don't carry the markers of middle class and I don't, I don't leverage whiteness. Like even in language, um, I don't code switch. 
the way I used to in code switching is that I'm going to now use the language of the, I'm going to use the dominant language, not just, not just grammar. A lot of times people think when you talk, like when, uh, when um, a black person is accused of talking white and then that black person goes on defense and said, I'm just speaking with proper grammar. First of all, I can, I can interrogate that, but let's, we're going to, let's just say that's, I shouldn't say proper grammar because I've learned that that's, uh, that's uh, redundant. I'm just grammatically speaking. That's the way you're supposed to say it. But even though I could interrogate that, I'm let's park it. I got to go, oh my God, look how, I got to go, I got to close. I'm going to park that. But it's not just grammar. It's tonality, it's inflection, it's cadence, right? There's a difference in terms of how we talk when we've been socialized in, in racially, in racialized spaces. Okay. Anyway, I used to code switch like that. And I would go into my white dialect. I learned to do what I went. I don't do, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that at all. Now I don't talk the way my family talks anymore just because of my training and my, my work experience. But I don't go into that space using white dialect and I watch black people do it in that space and I'm not doing it. So I think what he's trying to do is like, yo, I could use you. <laughs> You have potential here, but in order for you to grow here, you're going to have to get the memo. And I think that what he's been trying to do is coerce me into it. I think that's what it is. So anyway, that's what I, that's why I woke up this, this morning. Correction to coercion. Coercion by correction. There it is. Coercion by correction. <sighs> <laughs> Let me um how do I how do I close out? You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about coercion by correction, um, if it's related to anything you've experienced in the world, this idea that um there's a there's an unstated script, there's an unstated narrative, there's an unstated script, and you are expected to both fulfill that expectation. And most of the time we do, you guys, this is what the social world is all about. This is the matrix. Most of the time we're walking around fulfilling the script, fulfilling the narratives all the time. We all do it. I do it. We all do it until some of us outgrow the narrative by choice or we become willful. So those of us who are NI doms and we live in a sensory world, and especially when we, because we live, most of us have been shamed because of our intuition. But then when we come into the typology world and we go, oh, there are other people who are intuitive and that's not a bad thing. And we start developing confidence and we start growing and we become proud of it. And we say, this is who I am. I'm an INFJ. I'm an INTJ. I'm an INTP. I'm an INFP, right? I'm just, I'm, a, you guys get the point. I'm an E. Let me say some E's. I'm an ENTJ. I'm an ENFP. So those are your, your, um, excuse me, excuse me, an ENTJ. It's not an intuitive dom. Let me say that differently. An INFJ, an INTP. Nope. An, I, an INFJ, an INTJ are in, introverted intuitives. Dominant. And, an E and 
an ENTP and an ENFP are also intuitive doms. I think those are, I think those are the only four. Those are the only four intuitive doms. I think, I think I have it right. Anyway, and then we get to the place where we realize our intuition is a good thing and we don't have to mimic and we don't have to act out being censors. There are going to be people who will try to bring you back into the fold and correct you all the time because the matrix had operates off of a narrative, off of a script. It's a script. It's a storyline. We get the script and we learn that script throughout our lives. And then when we start individually growing, those of us who are minorities or we decided, I'm not going to follow that script anymore. Watch how the social world will try to bring you back into the fold, will try to coerce you back to play the part that you were supposed to play. This, this goes beyond gender. This goes beyond race. I could just talk easily about it in that way. There are many different ways. I've even looked at, uh, I listened to a podcast where these moms were not mothering the way most people mother. And they were shamed because they weren't mothering a certain way. There's a certain script that just wants to mother a certain way. They weren't mothering that way. Does that mean if they're not mothering the way other people mother? Does that mean that they're bad moms? And they were dealing with the fact of shaming and that, right? Or when, when my students look at me, when my female students look at me and they go, when they find out I don't have kids, you don't have kids? No. Because that's the expectation, right? And I love, I love busting that script right open. I love it. No. I don't. And sweetie, if you become a mom, do it because you want to, not because you're expected to do that. So <laughs> if you had any kind of conversation that would relate to the unspoken expectations or being corrected based on an unspoken expectation or even the idea around being indoctrinated or socialized to be superior or inferior, if any of that relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. On Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook now, yournidom, which I don't have. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any more promises. There's, I don't even know if you're going to be able to access it, but it's out there in the world. <laughs> Y'all go and find it and give me some likes. I just got a notification from Facebook saying, if your page gets 10 likes, it will be seen. <laughs> so I don't even know if you can find it. But if you have some time, you want to show, show me some love, go to Facebook and find your NI Dom. Like I have no picture up there or anything, but it's out there in the world. Um, and like it or YouTube, your NI Dom. Let me give you your assignment. I want you to think about the different identities that you have. You're female, male, it's around gender, racially, your age, your occupation. Are you a parent or not? Are you a child? You know, your family identity, are you a sibling, sister, brother, husband or wife? Are you a friend? Just think about those different identities. And I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself. How do you embody those identities? 
Do you embody those identities in a way that's familiar to, it's similar to the way other people um, embody those identities? And it's fine. I'm not judging it, but just pay attention. Do, are you a mom, a mother the way, and you, you pretty, you look fairly similar to how other mothers look. And this is going to be hard, especially you might see the difference. This might be a hard assignment because the only way you're really going to see this is by having an alternate person around. Uh, but anyway, let's just try it. Just think about, okay, let me, let me, let me frame the question this way. Let me give you the assignment this way. Think about those identities. Okay, here it is. Think about those identities that you have and ask yourself, how do I embody this identity in a way that is similar to other people in the way that they identify, embody that identity? And how do I embody it differently? So look at it in terms of similarities and differences. And then once you do that, only when you contrast that, how are, compare and contrast. How are you similar and how are you different? Only then ask yourself, why are you showing up in that identity that way? Is it because you've been socialized to show up that way? Or is it because you have taken the time to become conscious, come become conscious about that particular identity and you are willfully showing up? Okay. Are you willfully showing up? Are you willfully embodying that identity because of some consciousness? Or are you, are you unconsciously embodying that identity? Are you consciously embodying it or unconsciously? This is a more difficult assignment because I feel like it has some, it has a lot of sociological undertone here. And, um, and some of, I need to unpack it for some of you, but just do your best. You don't turn it, you don't turn that assignment into me. And if there's another way you want to treat this assignment, have at it. You have the power, right? Make it, make it do what you need it to do. Okay. You, with your vision, you correct this based on your vision. <laughs> you guys, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Sorry, this is so long, but it has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye. <laughs>